if your end goal is just to sell some poor schmo something that they don't need and to try and trick them into, into buying, that's not good. If you're trying to actually help them and drive real value to them and give them what they're looking for, maybe before they even know about it, that's awesome. You know, manufacturers are fantastic at finding technology to deliver their products and services and improve what they do. What they're not fantastic at is identifying ways to help grow their businesses using the same thing. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Email has always been the most predictable channel to drive your customers back to the funnel for e-commerce or digital savvy companies. Email keeps them engaged and provides opportunities for them to get the best out of their investments and the additional purchases they might be able to make through cross-sell and upsell. Also, with the advancements in artificial intelligence and recommendation technologies, the new tools are able to recommend exciting workflows that may not have been possible before because of disconnected datasets and siloed systems. Since the newer artificial intelligence technologies can process both structured and unstructured data, the need to have consistency across data sets is not as relevant. So what do e-commerce companies need to know about modern architecture and tools and creating email strategies based on that? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss email marketing strategies for e-commerce. We discussed the difference between transactional versus promotional email and the use cases for e-commerce email marketing strategies that companies might not be utilizing just yet. Finally, we covered how the identity of visitors can be tracked across channels and systems to capture email events and triggers through their entire life cycle, as well as the newer technologies and trends that can be utilized to tap into more sophisticated use cases for email marketing. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to e-commerce and we always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we are going to be talking about email strategies for e-commerce companies. Uh, there's always a distinction between how the product and services companies and how their workflows are going to be. And we are going to be digging deeper into the technology options that e-commerce companies have these days to go crazy on email and using that drive sales. We are going to start with everybody's intro, and after that, we'll uh, dig right into that. Uh, if you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ. Uh, I have roughly 20 years of experience uh, leading ERP and digital transformation engagements, primarily focusing on e-commerce. So obviously, this topic is near and dear to my heart. As part of Elevate IQ, we are an independent ERP consulting firm, and our focus is going to be on business process redesign, business case development, uh, business architecture using multiple systems, enterprise architecture, and the ERP implementation. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for her intro. All right. Thank you, Sam. Great to be here with uh, Dave and Steve and, and yourself. Yes, I'm Chris Harrington, the president of Gen Alpha Technologies. We are a SaaS company, and we deliver a complete digital commerce solution for equipment manufacturers and aftermarket parts organizations. 
as far as this topic of email goes, I see email strategies for the co the companies that we serve as a really big uh, opportunity and really underutilized today. So I think uh, if you're in equipment manufacturing or aftermarket and you have an e-commerce site, listen up, have those ears perked because this is something you should be doing with your business today. So glad to be here, Sam. And these are going to be golden nuggets that are going to have real money for you. So stay tuned. <laughs> we are going to have a lot of insight. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Steve, I'm actually going to come to you for your intro, if you don't mind. Great. Uh, and thank you for having me on the show, Sam. And good to see Chris and Dave again. Uh, my name is Steve Rice. Uh, I just remembered what my name was. Uh, and I'm the founder of Dotcom Jungle and the Globally Conscious Leader. Uh, and the main focus of Dotcom Jungle is we help companies make and implement wise technology choices, uh, often developing websites and integrating them with ERPs with folks like Sam. Um, and with a globally conscious leader, we're uh, actually leveraging sustainability and circular economy thinkers and supply chain uh, CPG companies as mentors to business folks so that they can increase their awareness and the drive towards uh, sustainable business practices. All right, amazing. And I love every partnership that we are doing together, respective of whether we are talking about partnership on this panel or the business. Thank you so much for being here, Steve. All right, Dave, I'm actually going to move to you for your intro. Hey, everybody. Dave Meyer with BusyWeb. I'm the president and founder of BusyWeb. And for the past 23 years, we have been developing and producing helpful content and driving leads for our manufacturing B2B services clients. For e-commerce, we focus on our clients to help use email as one of the lead things to get folks into the CRM and then to automate the responses so that we're actually giving people what they're looking for instead of just trying to cram our message down their throats. So we're going to talk about that a lot today. Thanks, Sam. Amazing. And this is going to be your sweet spot. Uh, you know, we are going to get so much insight from you, Dave. Thank you so much for being here. All right. So we are going to dig right into the topic. Before that, if you are listening in the audience, if you have any comments or questions, make sure you are going to be posting those because we'll be addressing all of your comments. If we cannot get to them, then we will make sure that our panelists are going to get back to you after the episode. So we are looking forward to reviewing your comments and questions. On that note, Chris, I am going to start with the first question, which is going to be the use cases for the e-commerce companies. And obviously, we are looking for crazy scenarios that uh, companies may not have explored so far from the email perspective. So right now, we are talking about the possibilities of what all may be possible from the email perspective. What are the trends that e-commerce companies can capitalize on? and then fire the email to dry sales. As I was thinking about this topic, I divided the types of emails into two types, which were transactional emails and promotional emails, because I think that, you know, when you think about your e-commerce site, there really are these two aspects. And as a developer of a SaaS platform, we think a lot about the transactional side. And I, I want to make sure we mention those things because I think it's really important to ensure that customers are getting the information they need or that they even expect when they do a business with your e-commerce site. So if we just start with the uh, transactional side of things, that's really a welcome email after they have registered as a logged in user. And now they're going to be accessing maybe the ability to order on account through the, your, uh, your website. So really welcoming them maybe a, a quick video on how to use the site or what would be some key features for them to consider when they're there that would be really helpful and help them do their job. Uh, I work in the B2B space predominantly and uh, really B2B manufacturers through their e-commerce sites are trying to help the customer do their job. So pointing out those things in the welcome process is a great start. A confirmation email, once a quote has been created, or an order has been created, uh, customers are going to expect a confirmation email. I encourage all uh, manufacturers, those on the site, make sure if you've collected a PO from your clients uh, when they entered that, uh, that order, make sure that the confirmation email has both the PO and your sales order number. So their purchase order number and your sales order number. Because if they ever have any questions or things that they want to follow up on, those two criteria are, are really important to them and their business. Um, I also want to say that we 
typically do a good job with abandoned cart emails, which I would say to more be a promotional item. Yep. But a quote follow-up email is just as important. So quote follow-up emails sometimes get lost because you have your automation set up for your abandoned cart emails, but you might not have automation set up for when a customer creates a quote. And this is usually a great opportunity for sales engagement as well. So don't forget to think about the emails after and the whole quote follow-up process when they've entered a quote through your system. A delivery confirmation email is another transactional email that we don't uh, want to forget. That's after the product has shipped. If they've used your website to pay their open invoices, make sure you send them a confirmation email that the, the payment has been received. So that's, again, another transactional. Um, notifications. Uh, many e-commerce sites are built with notifications inside the e-commerce site. And those notifications might tell them something new about what's existing for them. It could be a personalized notification or it could be some other notification. What I will say is that's great on your e-commerce site, but what about those people that aren't always engaging with your e-commerce site? Some notifications you might want to have an email built around. So uh, I I'm just uh, referencing that. A return. So those companies that are using your website and you've turned on the ability for an RMA, uh, again, in the B2B world, an RMA is a very intricate process, a return materials authorization. That typically has a workflow. So they are looking for the approval first to return the goods. And then they get that return approval, and now they have something that needs to go with the package back to the manufacturer so they can truly receive it. So that return process, think about the transactional emails that you need uh, to make sure that you're giving that information through that workflow. And then uh, an email after chat. Uh, you know, this one just came to me as I was thinking about the process. You know, people will chat with you while they're in the e-commerce site. And maybe they didn't finish their thoughts. Maybe maybe you solved their problem. Maybe you didn't. Maybe they left the site early. Is there the ability for you to email something to your customer to keep that conversation going after they've chatted with you? So I would think about uh, email uh, during that whole chat process and how you might utilize that. On the promotional side, and I know um, my fellow panelists here are going to have a lot of thoughts on this. This is probably a world that they play in a lot. Um, but abandoned cart emails, I mentioned any adverse customer. So uh, like in our analytics, we have a set point that we set with every customer. And then we, we know if they haven't purchased or come to the site, logged into the site at a certain point, that customer starts to get become at risk. Is there an email that you can send to re-engage them because they've hit your at-risk threshold? I would call that a promotional uh, email. One thing I should mention before even talking about promotional emails is don't forget to have the opt-in in your website, in your process, to make sure that they will actually get your promotional materials. And that's really the trigger that says, I want those promotional items. Seasonal. Uh, and we've talked about some of this in, in previous sections, so there might be, but, you know, pre-season promotional items, end-of-season sales and things, those are promotional activities. So as you think about your product, I've worked in the mining world, and in the mining world, they only did large maintenance products and large maintenance and shut down the machinery in the summer months because it was too expensive and too cold to bring in all the equipment that needed to be done for major overhaul. So what type of emails could you be sending your clients to prepare them for the upcoming events that you know are seasonal activities according to the products that you sell? So that's a, a suggestion I have. Services. Um, again, this is an opportunity if you do inspections, if you do tune-ups, if you have software upgrades, this is a promotional type opportunity. It could be the opportunity to bring people back to your e-commerce site uh, to en engage with you, but the email triggers some type of new uh, behavior or new interest or new opportunity for a sale. Common industry components. This is an area where I have seen uh, a huge opportunity for manufacturers that we work with. Often, 
uh, companies will sell products that fit across a common industry. And this might be consumables, it might be accessories. And I encourage you, if you're a manufacturer and you have fully stocked, so you've got great inventory levels, maybe you have the fastest delivery, maybe you have better pricing on some products, make sure you're promoting those products in a way that uh, customers who might have a fleet of multiple products, but they could buy from you and service that, that entire fleet that they have, and maybe only uh, you know 15% of their fleet is your, your brand, but you have these accessories and consumables that could sell, that's a way to increase your market potential. So think about uh, those on that promotional side. And then going back into analytics and other things, if you notice a frequency of buying or a buying pattern, make sure that you're suggesting a subscription order. So this is a great, great opportunity from an email perspective. If you can watch and monitor through your analytics a buying pattern with that customer, make sure that you think about emails that encourage a subscription order. So those are some use cases that as I think about the industry that we are in, I think that's great advice for those and it probably relates to a lot of other industries as well. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for all of those insights, Chris. Obviously, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is going to be the key distinction between the transactional email and the promotional email. And it's going to be far more common in e-commerce to see a lot more of those transactional emails, because that is probably going to be the expectations of the customers. Obviously, there are going to be some sales opportunities as well, but you may want to go a little easier on the customers when they are simply looking for an update and maybe not try to sell stuff. Uh, but obviously, there are going to be the opportunities as well. Uh, so we are going to be digging a lot deeper into your supply chain and the overall the complexity that you have in the email workflow. Because sometimes uh, in the B2B world, what I have seen is you have access to somebody else's customer's data. You know, they have access to your customer data. So we are actually going to come back and, and, and discuss that. But before that, I want to make sure that other panelists have the opportunity to be able to speak. So, Steve, I am actually going to come to you now and I am going to ask the same question. And that is going to be any crazy scenarios that you have seen with respect to emails where salespeople and marketing people can go crazy. I am not necessarily interested in, in the other emails at this point of time, meaning the transactional email. I am more interested in where are going to be the sales opportunities for e-commerce companies. Thanks, Sam. Gosh, so Christina covered a, a ton of them. I would say that the, the, the golden egg that everybody is looking for, where we're all headed out there in the, in the distance, is really uh, revolves around predictive analysis and the ability to decide what we think is the most likely scenario that will bring a customer in or back. And um, so all of the all of the stuff that, that Chris mentioned is is the 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 absolute most important basic stuff. And I, by basic, I don't mean to dismiss it. Like you have to do those things, yeah. Yeah. right? Where Facebook and Google and all these folks, uh, who by the way refuse to share information, want to go is a place where they have all the information, so they can predict what you're going to do next. So the the crazy scenarios that that you're thinking about, Sam, I think are the opportunity where uh, we can have, uh, I've used the word data lake, you know, we have a lake of information about uh, a person. So it can't be just generic, but you can have generic information that tells you what people generally do, but you also need to have unique identifiers that identify what a person has actually done. And if you can tie that together you know, imagine what Google wants to do. If you can tie what's happening on your website together with what someone's doing elsewhere, because um, frankly, we know, and I think I posted this already, that a customer journey includes bounces from Facebook to Instagram to LinkedIn to the website, back to an email, and maybe back to the website before they make a purchase. If you can start getting that information, like this is looking off to the distance for most companies, into a place where you can start predicting where people are going to be, then it's easier not just to send an email, but also to serve them an ad, you know. And you might notice this that sometimes consumers who are out there, you might notice if you've got your phone on and you happen to mention to your friend that you're thinking about getting a, you know, a Gretsch 5222 guitar, 
And then frequently you start seeing ads for that. That's part of it, right? You know, I know I stepped off of the emails, but that's the, that's the predictive analysis dream, the golden egg that's out there for, for those of us as marketers who want to be able to send the right kind of email to the right kind of person at the right time. Okay, very interesting insights there. And obviously, one of the key points that you mentioned is once you have command of your data and the processes, and uh, obviously, you need that customer identity. In my experience, getting that customer identity centralized is one of the most difficult tasks. Uh, because, you know, the customers are going to be all over the place the way transact. When they move from one channel to the next, it's extremely, extremely challenging. And then they are going to have different hierarchies. And again, I think I am going to be coming back to Chris in terms of understanding the hierarchies. When you are talking about complex B2B world, the kind of hierarchies that you are going to see, okay, you know, sometimes you might have buying groups, then you might have the customers, then you might have their own locations, then you might have their value chain. It's just all over the place overall in building the the customer identity. So in terms of architecture, Steve, I'm actually going to have a follow-up question for you. Do you typically see any challenges when you are trying to associate the identity as the customers are moving across the channels? The example that you mentioned is your Instagram to Facebook, uh, you know, sometimes they might be using different email, but it could be the same customer, right? So I don't know if it is going to be AI that is going to resolve all of these inconsistencies in data to provide that centralized identity of the customer. In, each, in your experience, what have you seen, Steve? Well, it, it's a great question. And you're, you're absolutely right that the answer to the question, what's the challenge, is that no one has actually figured this out yet. And, you know, the reason I mentioned Google and Facebook is that the reason that we haven't actually figured it out is because there's too many web properties out there that are holding their own information. If if Google and Apple, Yahoo and uh, Facebook actually all shared information to, to anyone and we could look in there, you could do a ton of predictive analysis. But they're all holding on to their information because they want to predict it themselves. So one of the answers is no one's actually done it. Uh, the other answer is. In the big sense, it's actually impossible to know where everybody goes all the time, right? Um, although the NSA, maybe they would argue. But the challenge is that we as retailers and as developers, we we have to use tools that are available to us. And there, there are some, um, you know, CDPs, customer data platforms out there that are trying to aggregate some information. The most likely scenario, uh, at least and this doesn't have anything to do with emails initially, is that at least inside Google Analytics, they're trying to give you some information of what they know in case they know someone's been to some of their properties. And they do also know if someone has left one of your or their properties and gone to Facebook. And they know if someone's come from Facebook back to yours and, you know, insert, use Facebook as a variable and insert any other website. So they're actually trying to give you some cross-platform analysis or data, I should say analysis, data inside Google Analytics. And a lot of other analytics tools are trying to do the same thing. And then they give you the opportunity to say, if somebody does these things, you can create an audience inside Google Analytics and push that audience to Google AdWords and then actually run campaigns to those people who've taken those uh, actions. Now, that has to be done generically because of international law, GDP regulations in the state of California, but it also has to be done generically because it's the ethical thing to do. The What we're really talking about in the end is can we take some of this generic information and tie it to an individual person? And it's very difficult to do without you know full platform analysis. And uh, I forget what the IDs are called, Mac IDs of every device in the world. So uh, it's really a challenge that it's going to take a bunch of people to share information they don't want to share. But so maybe that was a longer answer and more technical that you wanted. <laughs> okay, amazing. And I think, you know, Dave is probably going to build on that. Uh, you know, he's really passionate about talking about Apple and he always has a lot of insights. But before I come to Dave, I'm actually going to cover all of these comments that we got so far from the audience. So Sneha, you are absolutely right that for the nuclear companies, they are definitely able to proactively monitor but nuclear companies are not the only one. I am pretty sure Chris is going to have a lot of insights uh, because any of the large equipment world, I mean, this is a gold mine for them. <laughs> this is this is this is where they make money. So yeah. So uh, if you have your, I would say, product model figured out, 
that's probably going to be, you know, if you don't have your product data figured out across the system, then obviously it's going to be really hard to be able to create these campaigns and to be able to provide the kind or to be able to get the kind of insights you would probably need to be able to run these campaigns. But you are absolutely right that the larger the product it is, the more opportunities they are going to have to be able to sell their parts. We have some more comments that we are going to go through. So yeah, not really e-commerce, but to improve, I think she's just agreeing with uh, some of the comments that we had made. Love that idea. Okay, this is uh, Dave's comment. And then we have uh, Sneha's comment as well. All right, Dave, so now I'm actually coming to you about the crazy scenarios that you have seen in terms of getting real sales. And I know you like to talk about dollars and sales. So I am super excited to hear in the e-commerce space what you have seen, the scenarios that we may not have covered in terms of driving safety. Sure. And I think as we talk about the outside use cases for email, the, the good part is that there are companies that are, that are doing some really great stuff and that are tracking things in. The buzzword that I always like to drop in here is CRM. Yeah. And or my my favorite pal inside of the CRM space, HubSpot. But if you have the ability to track and maintain the interactions that you have with the hub of your entire existence, which is your website, that's the grand load leveler. Right. So some of the stuff that Steve was talking about with, you know, being able to run ad campaigns and you can do lookalike campaigns out of social media and bring all of the content together. The goal of all of those marketing campaigns should be to get people to your website so that you can gather their information by that magic form fill, right? And so the way that we do that for our customers, especially when we're dealing with e-commerce and transactional connections, is we try to get them to connect in trade for some high value piece of content. And for B2B, a lot of times there's higher transactional value. And so there's a lot more research that goes into a higher dollar budget. So if you need to buy a $10,000 piece of equipment or a $100,000 piece of equipment, you're gonna click around a little bit more than you would if you were just buying the next set of AirPods off of, off of Apple's website. Right? So the ability to capture people and decentralize on their home space or on your website is really the grand load leveler. And that's the good part. If you're doing that correctly, if you have your CRM tied into your website so that you're tracking these, things, you can go so far as to identify individual actions that people are taking on your website. So they've downloaded a form because you've come up with some high value piece of marketing, some high value content. And then you know that that person then visited your website and did a few other things, right? So they went to your about us page. They checked out a couple of your blogs. Maybe they looked at the pricing page. Maybe they even went all the way to the cart and filled something out, but then they abandoned that cart. That's when you can come back with email and proactively send people messages. Email is the grand equalizer for all marketing. It's the one thing that all of us still have. Even millennials, even Gen Z has email. They won't admit to it and they hate you when you send it to them. But if you're sending out a message and you need to reach someone, the grand equalizer is email. So if you're sending folks to those spaces, having that email address is just essential. Now there's new stuff coming in and you know there's legislation happening and there's the iOS 15 stuff that's happening where you know you're you're not able to measure the opens as well and iOS 15 actually on any Apple device you're just seeing anytime a message is delivered is registering as an open which is bad in that all of a sudden your numbers look like they're through the roof when they're maybe not but the end result of any great email is to register a call clicks conversions are still something that you can use as a marketer and as a driver of revenue for your business in order to note if people are actually doing what you want them to do. So I'm going to talk all about this later, I'm sure, Sam, but I think that's good. So on the on the narrow side, on the use cases, you know, making sure that you're tracking and you're connecting to everyone. On the bad side, people get lazy with email. And so that's an extreme use case as well. Whenever you're spamming people, whenever you're sending things to people and you're not respecting the relationship, yeah. if I register for your newsletter or if I or if I sign up or buy something from you and all of a sudden you're sending me five, ten emails a week or five, ten emails a day sometimes, yeah. 
that's spam. And that's going to just, I mean, it's, it's a great way to just shoot yourself in the foot as you're trying to establish a long-term relationship. And like Chris mentioned at the beginning, you want to be able to continually engage these folks by thoughtful and considered messaging. And that's where email marketing, again, can come back in and can keep reminding people that you're useful, you're helpful, you're valuable, and remind people that you're there. But you're not going to get there if you're not respecting the engagement and what people are expecting from you. So never spam. Always take the time to get people to do something on your emails. And that's probably another thing that people try to do too much with. They're like, well, I don't want to send that many emails to my customers, so I'm just going to send them a 17-page newsletter with 75 links that'll give them everything they could possibly do with me, right? If you give people more than three choices in any email, they're going to take no choice. They're just going to say, ah, maybe I'll get back to that later. And I'm from the Midwest. I'm in Minneapolis. Um, you may have heard of Minnesota Nice. Um, later is the Minnesota Nice version of never. You're never going to go back to an email if you ever say later. So give people few choices, make it very clear, and get them to keep interacting with you so that you can. So Dave, I'm actually going to have a comment there with respect mm -hmm. to your 17-page uh, uh, newsletter. Typically, you know, the kind of newsletters that I like to send out, and as you know, I am more of the long-form content guy, and my newsletters are probably going to be 70 pages, 70. <laughs> uh, that's how long they are. But love your insight, especially about the grand equalizer that you said about the email, um, you're absolutely right that uh, irrespective of the audience segment that you might be serving, everybody uses email in some shape or form. So that is still the, one of the best way of creating the engagement. And that is another keyword that you had used in your analysis. Now, I am actually going to cover these comments from the audience, and then I'm actually going to come to you, Chris. For the next question, so Sneha, you are absolutely right that about the social media that companies are really underestimating the value. And I don't know whether they really can visualize the possibility on social media. So right now, obviously, on social media, we are pushing a lot of content. But that content is not really correlated with the product because you need to know which products are performing on which social media. And for e-commerce, I think that is a critical insight because you need to be pushing the content that is performing on each of the channels. And then, obviously, once you have that correlation, then you need to figure out, okay, if you're able to sell anything because of your social media, but I don't think companies are there yet uh, overall in terms of their work, uh, the way they track the movement across social media, and if they are really taking the advantage of the social media campaigns to drive traffic from there. We have uh, one comment from Steve and one more comment from Sneha, and she's agreeing that, yeah, people do get lazy in emails. Yep, I can completely relate with that. I do that as well. So, Chris, now I'm actually going to come to you. So, again, I am going back to the same question. And one of the questions that I personally struggle because I am not on the marketing side, typically, we are doing a lot more marketing from our business perspective. But my challenge is always, okay, how do I find that centralized identity how can I find that segment of customers that my marketing customers can, can target? And one of the challenges that I come across is always going to be channel conflict. And that is always my favorite topic when we talk about B2B. And as you know, when you get into the complex scenarios inside B2B commerce, the relationship could be trickier. As I said, sometimes you have access to the customers of your distributors. Distributors are going to have access to the manufacturer because you might be serving the product warranty or whatever. Uh, because of that, you got their emails. Now, do you typically recommend or do you typically see that companies are sort of you know cross-marketing when they have access to the customer data and they are trying to grab some of that customer segment? In your opinion, what is the ideal way of creating sort of the architecture from the data perspective, from the email architecture perspective? Yeah, so... Great question. I, I think, you know, channel conflict is something we certainly see in my space around dealer and distribution and then the manufacturer, right? So my argument is always that both own the customer. Yeah. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, the manufacturer is responsible for their brand and distribution and dealers may be uh, on the delivery side of things, they may be selling the whole good and servicing, so servicing the product. But depending on the go-to market strategy, manufacturers have a responsibility to own the brand. And 
not what what I have seen again in the space that I serve is that many of their dealers and or distribution network aren't consistently doing the things that need to be done to ensure you know relevance and to make sure that the brand identity uh, is there for the customers who have purchased their products, whether that was direct through the manufacturer or through their distribution network. So more and more uh, channel partners and manufacturers have to have conversations on how they're going to handle this because um, owning that customer is really key in ensuring that the customer knows who to go to at what times or just ensuring that the manufacturer and the dealer are working in a way that they're supporting the customer wherever they might be in their journey, right? So, so uh, you know, to tie it back to emails, right, many of the time, most of the time, and again, if a whole good is being sold to the distributor or the dealer, and they are uh, owning that within their facility, in their uh, in their inventory, and then they sell. So the dealer or the distributor sells it to the end user. It is in the registering of that product that you get the end user information if the manufacturer asks for it, right? So if I register my product, I get, I as the manufacturer, if I force the dealer to have that information, including the customer who bought it, their information, now I as the manufacturer can you know, send emails and send communication. If I don't capture that data, there's a high likelihood that the manufacturer will will not know who has purchased their their products. So they they're leaving the email opportunity up to the distribution and dealer network. So I, I guess I'm trying to answer your your question directly on that dealer channel conflict that that's being faced today. There is a hierarchy. I think that. Most companies are working through this right now, and many of them are not doing it well yet. Ideally, uh, manufacturers are starting to use more and more technology that is going to tell a customer what they need, when they need it. And again, who does that and how that happens has to be decided between the manufacturer and the distribution network, right? So think about telematics on a piece of equipment. If my machine is reaching a certain level or there is some technology on that machine that has been installed that informs the manufacturer of what where that a piece of equipment is, it could be telling through an email exactly what that customer needs when they need to be you know servicing. We're seeing this all for our vehicles today. Um, you know, I have a vehicle. I get emails when they expect my maintenance pe- uh, time to to happen. Now I'm getting emails from the dealership in that case because the dealer wants to service my vehicle. Those are the same types of conversations that need to take place. And then all of the emails that that happen around that. Yeah, so that's a very interesting commentary and I am going to retouch that from the scenarios that I have personally seen and you have spent a lot of time in the enterprise sales space. And as you know, how the enterprise sales space works, especially when you are selling either large equipments or the some sort of, you know, very expensive services, you are probably going to have multiple companies involved in the process. Uh, but there is only one rep that actually holds the account. There is only one company that actually owns the account Nobody else is supposed to be communicating with the customer because they are going to be controlling the communication or there's going to be a chaos overall in terms of uh, the the effort. Now, let's contrast this with with the e-commerce. So in case of e-commerce, obviously, as marketer, my goal is going to be to target as many as possible. Uh, You know, that's what as a marketer I am trying to do. But I don't know if it is going to come at the expense of, uh, you know, some of these relationships because. You know, in the sales world, if I am, let's say, going after somebody else's customer, they are not going to be happy about it. Uh, You know, so you are right that we need to have the conversation with the distributor. But overall, in your experience, do you agree with the assessment when we, uh, even though you are saying that, you know, both of them share the customer, but you're not supposed to be selling even... You might share the customer record, but you're not supposed to be selling, I guess, right? I, I think that's changing, Sam. You okay. know, I do think as as manufacturers and distributors partner for the future, 
there is an opportunity for the manufacturer to own part of that customer relationship. And there's an opportunity for the dealer distribution network to own part of that relationship. So I think it is changing. It, it would be nice if it was just one, but in today's world, I think that it actually is, is starting to merge. And that's why good communication needs to take place. And again, I will, I will say that many dealers and distributors are not doing it. So then, you know, manufacturers are expecting that somebody's doing it and it leaves their, their brand at risk. So, you know, they have to, they have to get together own part of that. And that's because of the way that territories were built and how people service territories and how people could walk in for service and do different things. Well, in the age of e-commerce, if that dealer distributor can't service because they have no e-commerce platform and they're going to miss 20% of the market because they want to do business online, well, then the manufacturer has to solve that. So that's why I say it is changing. Yeah, could not agree more. And you are absolutely right that you have to have the right communication uh, you know, set up and uh, expectations set up up front so that there are not going to be any surprises for the manufacturers as well as distributors. So, Steve, I'm actually going to come to you uh, for your insights, even though you are not as much in the B2B world, but your world is equally complex as well. When we look at, uh, especially the CPG market in the sports goods world, I mean, there are going to be a lot of different complex hierarchies that I have personally seen. And as I mentioned that you are going to have buying groups, they are going to have customers underneath them, you are going to have customers, and then they are going to have many different locations, they are going to have different relationships in the mix. So obviously, this gets very complicated as well. So in your experience, what have you seen when you are establishing email campaign architecture, you know, from different perspectives, because you could be a buying group, you could be a manufacturer, then you are probably targeting the similar customers. So how do you sort of set the boundary and the expectations in the relationship so that you don't have overlap when you are communicating with the customer through email? Well, uh, I think there's two there's two questions and slash answers inside this. One is like, what's the ethical thing to do? Yeah. And the, the other is, how, do, how does a company recognize there's a channel conflict and do something about it? And as Chris was pointing out, I think sophisticated and sort of forward-thinking manufacturers look at a channel conflict and see an opportunity. And additionally, the retailers and or distributors who see a conflict are also looking at a potential opportunity, meaning they can go back. They should be all talking to each other and communicating and saying, well, what are we going to do about this? And and a sophisticated manufacturer is going to actually say, okay, you know, we value, we either, we either value the relationship of our dealers and our retailers or we don't. And if you value the relationship with your retailers and your distributors, then you need to, you need to not care that you're going to make less margin on a sale that they make because what you actually care about is the user experience of your customer at the other, the far end, right? So if, if you're sophisticated enough to say that to yourself and not say, well, we're going to grab all the money for ourselves and just sell off the website the heck with the rest of you guys. Then you're going to have conversations lead to win-win uh, scenarios where you're actually working together. And I've seen this in, in several companies. You're actually working together uh, and uh, you're not exactly sharing customer information because that's where the ethical piece comes in. But you're working together to drive people in that area to that region's dealers, essentially. And it's not uncommon with the companies that I work with where they might actually run ads Say they actually pay for ads in in Atlanta uh, or Georgia, and instead of sending people to their own website, they'll send them to you know the the largest manufacturer, sorry, the largest retailer in the greater Atlanta region that sells their product, or or maybe they'll actually have multiple ads with multiple destinations and spread that love. But they're actually paying for advertising and and sort of giving that as part of the relationship to their retailers. I've seen that happen. As far as email sharing. This is where ethics comes in. If I'm a manufacturer and I have a ton of emails and I'm lucky enough to sort of have them geo-targeted, it's really not appropriate for me to give that email list to, say, Home Depot in in Georgia. But I can send out an email to the list that is functionally geo-targeted myself and say, here's our stuff. You can go to the Home Depot to get it. So that's my answer to how do you do that ethically? How do you share emails? 
it's basically you like saying, Sam, I want I want all my people to know about you. And me saying, well, why don't you give me your email list? And your appropriate answer would be, I'm guessing what? No, right? Yeah. No, right? I, no, I'm not going <laughs> to give you my email list. But exactly. you might be willing to say to your email list, I met this great guy named Steve. He's got this great company called Dotcom Jungle. By the way, you could also meet Dave and Christina. They're awesome. You, would, you might be willing to send that email out. That would be perfectly legitimate. So that's the ethics of it are basically that simple. Yeah, could not agree more. And I guess, you know, you are bringing a very, very, very important point, And that is going to be ethics. And obviously, that is going to be, you know, a bit of a very thin line in terms of ethics. And yes, the company needs companies need to be ethical in terms of what they really own and what they don't own. And accordingly, they should be communicating. And you are also touching on the similar points as Chris, that, uh, you know, the communication and collaborations and the expectations, I guess those are going to be super critical. Uh, so, Dave, uh, before I come to you, obviously, I'm going to cover Sneha's comment, uh, and that is going to be, yes, you are absolutely right about the go-to-market strategy, and yes, they don't really invest enough time in developing that, and obviously, you are not going to find as many opportunities. So, Dave, now the question for you is going to be, obviously, your sweet spot is going to be HubSpot, and in case of HubSpot, the hierarchy that we have, I mean, the challenging scenarios that these guys are seeing, from their perspective, you are probably not going to have as complex hierarchy inside HubSpot. But when you come across these scenarios, do you see, do you notice that, you know, uh, companies are trying to target somebody else's customers? Are there any ways where you might be able to restrict that inside HubSpot? Uh, what have you seen in your experience when you are trying to design these email campaigns when it comes to targeting somebody else's customer versus not targeting somebody else? I think if you have a good ERP that connects your customer services together, you can use that data and then tag that data inside of your CRM so that you understand whose lists are whose, right? So when we set up a, a customer on our CR or on a CRM, we like to make sure that they have different pipelines that manage the different relationships and that each of those pipelines has the right automation to respect the relationship. All of that goes back to information architecture, and you have to make sure that every single lead source is tracked and connected appropriately across the network. What Steve said is really interesting, and I think it's becoming in increasingly a hot button, both just kind of in the world and especially politically right now. People expect that you're going to treat their data as sacrosanct. Privacy is a big deal, and so it's not okay for company X to just download and share the data. And a lot of times for businesses that have traditionally been territory driven, the fact across COVID over the last year and a half has basically wiped out the, no the notion of territories, especially when you're talking e-commerce. It doesn't matter if you're in the Southeast or the Northwest in Canada and the US, you can click buy anywhere. And so you have to watch the relationship and your geotag those people or bring them back in. Make sure that you're tagging and tracking all of the contacts so that you know where the one sole point of truth is for who owns that data, who owns that customer. And if you do it right inside of your CRM, then you know, okay, well, my distributor was the source of this lead. They got me that contact. They actually completed a, a order from me and I want to give them the credit, or I at least want to make sure that I'm giving them the right connection or that I'm saying, you know, thank you on behalf of Home Depot or whatever customer X is, right? So if I'm giving them the right information and if I'm tracking it correctly, which is difficult, especially when we're talking real world, if you've got 17 distributors and you're trying to go to market as well, it's really tough to track all of those different things, especially since the territories are kind of gone now. But if you track it inside of a CRM and you go by who the owner of that data record was, that can help simplify that. And then you just make sure that, again, you're respecting the relationship and what that person expected. This is a customer who is interested in X. This is a customer who has visited these pages on my website. And so I'm going to give them proactively. You know, it, it seemed, it's been 90 days since their last order, and we know that the life that the life cycle of this product is 75 days. So I should probably proactively reach out to them and see if they're interested in another order, or bringing them back with a buy one get one, or we miss you, or something like that. Again, making sure that you're just 
careful with how you treat that data and that you're adding to the conversation, not simply spamming. And if you're simply just, you know, wild, wild westing it and say, hey, distributors, do whatever you dang well, please. I don't know where they're coming from. You don't know where they're coming from. Let's all send them notes. You can spam the heck out of people. And that's going to bite you in the back and not have the end result that you're looking for. So if all of a sudden they've expressed an interest with one of your products and then distributor A, distributor B, distributor Z, and you sends them a message trying to sell them, nobody's going to buy it because they're going to go to the competitor that isn't bugging the crap out of them in their Okay, completely agree. And uh, the relationship that you mentioned and, you know, how tricky the email marketing is going to be in the e-commerce space because of these relationships, it's always very, very, very tricky. And obviously, you need the systems and you have probably stolen my keyword, which is going to be information architecture, to be honest. I like to talk mm-hmm. a lot about that, but I very rarely hear about that. So thank you so much for bringing it. So we are probably going to do a very quick round of any technologies you might be excited about in the architecture. So, Chris, I'm actually going to start with you. Okay, so let's say if you were to design sort of the ideal architecture for this crazy email scenarios where you can just go nuts with the email and you can bring a lot of different sales. So what are different systems that you would hope to capture in that system architecture so that you can have the information architecture that Dave was talking about? Yeah, I think it would go back to predictive which Steve mentioned, as you think out in the future, if we could predict more what customers should be looking for on our websites, you know, in an e-commerce setting and be able to really personalize that in a way because we know what they own or we know what they've purchased in the past or we know the hours on their equipment or we know uh, the miles on their vehicle, right? So, the predictability and the ability to personalize emails based on that and, you know, send them to the right dealer when they should be serviced by a dealer and point them in the right direction for do-it-yourself stuff if they should be coming for videos and uh, informational tutorials back to the manufacturer's website to get that type of information. That is where I think I get excited, particularly in the space that, that I'm in, is all around that that predictive. And the more that the machine can even uh, inform what it needs so that it's already placing things right into the shopping cart, that is the ideal state. And when we talk to our customers, that's where they would like to get to. But first, they have to build and they have to have those components on the machinery Connecting it to the e-commerce store is the easy part. It's getting it onto the, the machinery and knowing that that machinery is, is saying, hey, you have a situation here, there's an alarm going off, and you need these parts you know, now in order to prevent a failure in the future. There's so much great value there. And if I'm getting a tickler email that tells me that, uh, I would be paying attention to that. You've just saved me downtime. You're saving me costs. You're uh, making sure my production is running at the levels that I want it to. So the whole predictive maintenance and then predictive ordering, is, is it's very exciting. Okay, love it. Thank you so much, Chris. So Steve, I'm going to ask the same question to you. What are different systems that you might like to utilize in the new architecture where you can go crazy with emails and drive some real sales? Well, Sam, you got me thinking about about this and customer data platforms. And I, I think that well, you know, when we're, everybody's talking about digital transformation, what we're really talking about is getting everything in the cloud and connecting everything in a big data lake. And there's all these words like data lake and data warehouses and cloud that are thrown around. I think the answer to your question is, how can we create a data lake that then provide, has analysis tools sitting on top of it that then gives us information upon which we can create rules and actions that happen? And, uh, you know, HubSpot, the best part about HubSpot is be able to create rules that put people into different categories and then create other rules that say we can take these other all these three different categories and put them together and send out an email that looks like this. With basic customer data platforms, that's where all of that is heading is basically a big data lake of information. And it might even be a non-relational database where we don't even know what the connections are yet but we're going to let AI and machine learning figure that out later. But that's the holy grail are these CDPs and the ability to basically flag people based on their uh, what they've done, what people like them in the past have done. And like Chris mentioned, do some predictive analysis 
and make decisions based on that. So that's that would be my answer as far as looking into the Okay, amazing. Love the vision. Thank you so much, Steve, for that. Dave, I am looking for your vision. What are different systems you would like to utilize in your architecture to go crazy on emails to drive sales? I, I love what, what Steve and Chris have said in that you need to have a system that you can track together. You know, I love I love CRMs, but CRMs aren't the be all end all. I love the ability to track AI and data and traction and pull that together. There's a lot of really amazing tools that you can use. Um, I wish Ben was on with us because I know that he has some big data stuff that he's that he's great at. The trick with big data, like capital B, capital D, big data, is that with great power comes great responsibility. And not only are you going to face a huge backlash if you do it wrong, but you're going to tank your business because you're going to upset millions of people instead of dozens, right? So you need to be very careful. Instead of focusing on the architecture of the contact and all of the different ways that you can come in, I don't, I'm sure that this has been said before somewhere, but if not, I'm going to take credit for it. Instead of information architecture, we need to spend some time thinking about value architecture. If you're not actually bringing real value to that person as part of your interaction, if your end goal is just to sell some poor schmo something that they don't need and to try and trick them into, into buying, that's not good. If you're trying to actually help them and drive real value to them and give them what they're looking for, maybe before they even know about it, that's awesome. You know, manufacturers are fantastic at finding technology to deliver their products and services and improve what they do. What they're not fantastic at is identifying ways to help grow their businesses using the same thinking, by using new technology, by thinking outside the box, by using tools that are tried and true and that they maybe haven't tried. So getting that mindset turned over to using some of that big D, big B, big D, big data and AI to help deliver more value to their customers is where they should be focused. Okay, amazing. Love it. So we are going to take really super short closing advice now because we are close to our time. So Chris, what would be your closing advice? Uh, something we've learned about emails in the B2B space is test text-based emails versus graphic-based emails. Sometimes uh, spams and other things will block the graphics and you won't get your text emails through. So uh, for those of you that are dabbling in all of this, text-based emails uh, get a lot of opens. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, Steve, super short closing advice, please. I'm going to say that most people, manufacturers, CEOs who are watching this aren't making use of the information, customer information they have on their website right now, and they need to call somebody like Dave to install, integrate, and set up HubSpot so that it's automatically identifying customers on a myriad of activities and, and then worry about what emails you're going to send to them later, but start creating those lists of people who are taking actions and then you can start doing A-B testing deals to see who's going to respond and why. Love it. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, super short closing advice, Dave. Use your data responsibly and always add. Okay. Love it, guys. And that's a wrap. So if you joined for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to e-commerce. So we are going to be here next week. So make sure you are not going to miss next week's show. On that note, I want to thank everybody for their time and insight. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Bye. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Dave Meyer, head over to busyweb.com. It's B-I-Z-Z-Y-W-E-B.com. If you want to learn more about Steve Rice, head over to .com, jungle.com. It's D-O-T-C-O-M-J-U-N-G-L-E dot com. If you want to learn more about Chris Harrington, head over to genalpha dot com. It's G-E-N-A-L-P-H-A dot com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Ben CRC, who shares his insights into the importance of customer advocacy and mass customer mobilization. Also, the interview with John Reedman, who discusses how to compare and measure marketing channels to plan your marketing budget. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite 
podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.